Oh, I didn't know if I was going to make it. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you for people online tuning in. I know one of the things that we advertise on social media and Ben said at prayer is we're, we're pumped to have all of you here, but we're also pumped to have all of you online because the reality is anytime people leave, a lot of times they take Oasis with them wherever they go. So we hope you're watching with friends and with family and we say hi to all your moms and dads. But otherwise, for the rest of us in the room, I'm going to dive straight in. And I have our one part on Christmas, and I don't know how you do the whole Advent series in one part, but I guess you'll see when I finish tonight and you can tell me or tell someone else if I did a good job. But really what I want us to start with is we're looking at this idea of underrated people, essentially. Because we have to understand that there are underrated things and there are overrated things. Like, my favorite example of something that is like way overrated, dogs. I know it's a hot take. A lot of people don't like my response when I say that, but dogs in our culture are overrated. Man's best friend, I'd rather have a best friend. But Fur or no fur, whatever, we can still be friends. I promise I'm, I'm not the worst. But other than that, there are also people who are underrated. And I, I have a list of three men, actually, that I'm going to talk about. And these three men are underrated, and I believe they deserve some respect. And I, I could have done women, honestly, but it would have been too hard for me because it's like, where do I start? I got to get my mom, my mother-in-law, and my sister, my wife. I've got to get, I literally got to get all the women in the list, and then there's like a thousand I'd still skip. So I'd rather just pick the men, because let's just agree, most women, underrated. But the three men I have decided to pick, they're all people who have radically changed your life, and you don't know their name. And if you do, come talk to me. I would love to be proved wrong, but I didn't know their name, and I'm assuming you didn't. So first one. Sir John Harrington. Anybody? That is what I'm talking about. Nobody for Sir John Harrington, and he has changed your life. Because in 1596, Sir John Harrington invented the flushable toilet. Can we, can we give it up for John Harrington? Yes. He invented the flushable toilet, so now our disgusting waste no longer has to sit in the hole for more than however long you'd like it to sit there. And, and the, his first invention wasn't great. I'm not going to talk about all that. But he deserves some respect, people. He should be a household name. Number two, Sir Tim Berners-Lee. Anybody? <laughs> so I'm talking about two for two. Two for two because Sir Tim Berners-Lee invented... The internet. The internet. He invented the World Wide Web in, let me date check, 1989. And in 91, he went public with it, and he gets no royalties, but it changed your life. 3.5 billion Google searches happen today. Because of Tim, Tim Berners-Lee, 3.5 billion searches happened today. In 2019, two of the top 10 searches on Google were what is love, and where am I? Three million people a month Googled those two questions. So without Sir Tim Berners-Lee, there'd be 1.5 million people who don't know where they are, and 1.5 million people who have no idea what love is. And let's be honest, they probably still don't know what love is, because they're Googling it. But these two people, they deserve some respect. Come on, can we, can we get them to be household names again? And then finally, 
third person. I, I wanted so bad to put my own name on the list and just be like, I deserve some respect. Ben, Jaina, shout out. Like, but I won't do that. Move past that. But I did put a third name on the list, and it's someone who's underrated, and it's the name Joseph. And if I didn't tell you this was a Christmas message, most of us people who are fairly churched in here automatically start thinking, rainbow coat, dreams, Egypt. No, wrong, bad, wrong Joseph. I'm talking about the underrated Joseph, Joseph of the Christmas story, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, Joseph, his, his legal father, and he doesn't get no respect. And we need to make Joseph respectful again. And I'll prove it to you that he doesn't get much respect, not even from the Bible, does he? Because there are four gospel accounts. If you missed our series and you still don't know there's four we need, we need to talk. But there are four gospel accounts, and in two of them, Joseph doesn't even get mentioned. He doesn't even make the cut. He's Jesus' father. He didn't make it. In one of them, Luke, he barely makes it. He's on the peripheral of the story. He, he kind of slides in. His name gets mentioned, but he doesn't play any central role. And finally, Matthew gives him a couple mentions in two chapters of the Bible. Matthew 1 and Matthew 2. And in all of that, there's very little glamour and glory in Joseph's story, but the man, he's underrated. And when I look at Joseph's story, I can't help but notice the similarities to our story. I don't know probably most of you, but I do know if that if you're here and you're watching online, a good chance is you're a young adult. We define young adults somewhere between 18 and Ben likes to say 50, but it's like 28 or 30. Like that's somewhere in there you're still a young adult. And Joseph, probably a young adult when these stories happen. It's believed he was somewhere between the ages of 18 and 25, 27, depending on where you read. And we don't know for sure, but also when we look at his story, his life is marked by two things that's constantly what I hear from young adults. I have had the privilege over the last four years to be on this stage and behind the scenes working with Oasis. And as I meet with people constantly, there is one topic that sits on Mount Everest of struggles among young adults. Like, there is nothing that comes close. You could guess it. Relationships. <laughs> over and over. We tried to do an Ask Us Anything series and like 90% of it was like, who should I date? It's like, Okay, we, we get it. We get it. We want to know about relationships. We will continue to bring relationship series. The second thing that happens anytime we ask young adult struggles, young adult questions, it's all about the future. It's got like a little rocky mountain compared to Mount Everest, but still, people want to know about the future. You and I, we want to know about the future. And when we look at Joseph's story, as a young adult, there are two things that he consistently kind of struggles and wrestles with relationships, and the future. And as we look at his life, and we will break it down tonight, and we will look at three specific events that happen in Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, we will see that Joseph's life is marked by the key to how he unlocks these struggles of young adulthood. And that, that life, Joseph's life, the one he lived, it's marked by faithfulness. That's your key. It's faithfulness. It's one word. It'll unlock all of your problems, but it's probably not that simple. And before I get into the meat of what we're talking about tonight, I got to give you a little peek behind the curtain because what you see on Sunday nights is a pastor and a worship team stand up and do the service for about an hour. 
What you don't see is the 40 to 50 hours that go into the week and what we do spending our time. Despite the jokes that pastors don't do anything, I promise we do do some stuff. We're behind the scenes doing some stuff, and one of the things that Ben will say, and I have learned to say, is the most important thing we do, is we pray. We pray for you constantly, consistently, all the time. What we do is we lift you up. We are interceding on your behalf in these seats, on those screens, in prayer. That's why when you come in here and we want you to take a connection card, we're not joking. I, could care, I couldn't care less if you write your email on it. Don't care at all, pretty much. I want you to fill out the praise and the prayer requests. I want to know how I can pray for you. And when we're going through the week and we're praying, sometimes we'll come in here as a staff or sometimes we'll go on campus or we'll drive around the community. And we were doing that earlier this year. And and Ben and I and Jaina do it consistently, like I said. But pre-pandemic and then through the pandemic, God has been speaking to us as a staff pretty much one word consistently. Probably could guess it faithfulness. Over and over again, as we came to him in prayer and we had struggles and we as a staff had to navigate a pandemic and how to get you in here, but not kill you all. And we had to decide and make decisions and abide by SDSU and Brookings. And as, uh, it was nasty and crazy and wasn't fun. And we would come to God in prayer and he would say, be faithful. Faithfulness is what I'm looking for. And tonight, as I bring the last message of what will be our 2020 year, and we look back at political turmoil and racial tension and a pandemic and just the worst year ever in 2020, I believe it is by no accident that I stand up here today and preach to you a message on faithfulness. And as I bring that, I want to lead into this point that faithfulness, faithfulness leads to fulfillment. We're going to see that through Joseph's story. And like I said, we're looking at three events. And the first one of those is the most famous. It's like, come on, Joseph, if he's not the trench coat rainbow guy, he's got to be the dude with Mary. And that's what we'll look at in Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was her husband, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And that right there is a wild, wicked story. If you were tracking with me, maybe you've heard it. Maybe it's kind of lost its luster to you. But what I just read... That is wild. Like Joseph is starting his life off in the scriptures with a bang. But there's these outside pieces, and we like to call it context. And when we take these outside pieces that I'm going to give you, and we plug them into the story, it really starts to unpack exactly what's happening here. Because you can read it. You can read those same seven verses as I just read to you. But without some of these context pieces, I think you miss the glue to stick the whole thing together. And to do it, I'm just going to start back at the beginning. 
And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to give you these little pieces, and I want to start here. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. When we think of that, the first thing that probably pops into your mind, unless you were here this morning, <laughs> is they were engaged, right? That's, that's what happened. The two were pledged to be married. That's what would happen in our culture. I was engaged at one point. A lot of, well, maybe not a lot of you, some of you were probably engaged. And then you pursue marriage. It's pledged to be married. But rather, here in the scriptures, when they're talking about this culture, it's not engagement. Rather, it's betrothal. <laughs> Which I don't know if I just like skipped that part of my and Allison's relationship, but I promise you I was never betrothed. Like that, is sound, that sounds terrible. But they were betrothed, and I just need to explain it for a second. Because, again, we don't understand. I haven't been betrothed. I'm, I'm hoping you haven't been betrothed. But there's this idea in the scriptures that says Mary and Joseph were in this type of relationship. And when they were in this type of relationship, pretty much what it means is they practiced arranged marriage in most cases. So Joseph's family and Mary's family came together and they bickered and fought and debated and discussed whether their two kids could be compatible. Well, they kind of discuss whether the two families are compatible, but the kids pay the price. And then when they agree and they sign the contract, the way they seal that contract is Joseph's family gives Mary's family a dowry, but we'll call it a bride price. They exchange a cow or a chicken or a goat or cash. I don't know, whatever they had. And they'd pay that bride price and the contract would be sealed. And the two would now be betrothed. And when they are betrothed, it starts a period of about a year before they, they pursue mar- before they actually get married. And during that period of a year, it is a legally binding contract. So for us to be engaged, you could exit your engagement without any really serious legal, without any legal consequences. You could give the ring back or take the ring back or pawn the ring. I don't don't know what you want to do with it. You can make that own decision, but you can break your engagement. That's a reality in our culture. If you wanted to break off your betrothal, you had to file for divorce. You weren't yet married. Don't get that confused. You weren't married, but you must get divorced to break it off. And that's what we see here. Because there's a conflict that enters. It's like any good relationship, right? Like, what's a good relationship without some conflict? And their conflict comes from teen pregnancy that's not of Joseph. It's like, ugh, not great. But that's what happens because Mary, who is somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15, is pregnant. And Joseph, who maybe in their culture has never even had a conversation with her privately, dang sure ain't the father. And, and he's coming to this, and he's hearing this news that his fiance. I don't think he'd use that term, but this essentially is his fiance is pregnant. Joseph, man, the emotions have got to be flowing. And where we read in the scriptures, if we've heard it too often, or maybe this is your first time hearing it, you kind of get the end of the story. You get that Joseph was faithful, that Joseph stayed with her, that Joseph listened to the angel. And we, we smooth over what the turbulent time of his life probably looked like. You guys think about it. Think about it if you're engaged and you come to find out your fiance is pregnant. He is going through all tight. He is in his feels hard people. And I'll prove it to you because in the scripture in verse 20, it says, but after he had considered this, and when it's talking about this, he's talking about what Mary had just done to him. What Mary has, has a child in her that is not of him. And he's considering this. And when we look at the Greek word consider, it's ethumiomi. 
Ethumiomi is this Greek word that describes considered. And the root of that Greek word is thymos. Thymos translates to English as wrath. He's in theomi, in thymos, in wrath, himiomi. He considered in wrath. Joseph is sitting there so mad, so turbulent, so upset, so hurt, so broken that the wife that he thought he was going to have cheated on him. That the future that he thought he was going to have is crumbling in front of his eyes. Do we see that? Do we see Joseph's life falling apart right through his hands? He's sitting there considered in Christian world. It's like he's kicked back like robotically deciding what he's going to do with Mary. The dude is struggling. And he comes and we see his decision. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Did you catch the contradiction? If you didn't, I'll tell you. He said, Joseph was faithful and yet he wanted to to not publicly disgrace her. So because there's a contradiction, it's, it's he, he was faithful, but. And the but in this sentence shows that there has to be some contradiction between what Joseph decides and that faithfulness which he had previously practiced. And the reason that that but is included in there is because there are two reasons, there are two ways the law wanted Joseph to go about finishing this betrothal. And it would start by he would bring Mary in before some kind of court system. And when he brings her in, he would show you could, you could just look, like she's pregnant and I, it ain't mine. That's probably what he would do and they would sit there and they would deliberate and there's two rulings that they could have. The first one, if they were very uh, legally in the Old Testament, is they would have her stoned. They would bring in the community, they would pick up large rocks and they would hurl them at her until she died. Mary and her child would be no more beaten to a pulp for her action. The second option that the court could rule, which was more of a precedent in the New Testament, would be that Joseph would publicly divorce her and she would be publicly shamed for her adulterous act. And many of us think, we sit here and we hear those two options and it's like, I'll take number two. Like, I'm going to live in that one. Don't let your culture leak into their culture. That's not how it was for them. To be publicly shamed as an adulterous woman, she would have not only had Joseph, she could have been disowned by her family, by her friends, and she sure is never finding another husband. In this culture, a woman without a husband is as good as dead. She can't provide for herself. She can't get a job. Most of the time, they turn to prostitution to just survive. Still pick an option too. They're both terrible. And what does Joseph do? He shows his character. He just divorce her quietly. Don't let anybody know about it. Try to slide it over so that he can save her life. And at the end of this, because you, you hope the story's over, and then an angel shows up. And an angel just like chucks the biggest wrench in the entire thing. And, and what, we, what we probably think is that an angel looks like this. If Ezot will throw that up for me. We probably think angel Cupid popped into Joseph's dream and it was just like, boop, I'm here. Uh, Joseph, if you could do this nice thing. Or you think an angel looks like this. That is my best theological example. Like, I don't think you can get any more accurate than that for what angels look like in heaven. No, no I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But I, it was, come on, I had to. Jana made that for me. I love it. I'd probably make a poster out of it hanging in my office. 
But reality is the angel was this heavenly being. This, this heavenly being that popped into Joseph's dream and probably commanded respect. You can imagine the reverence and the awe as he's dreaming and his sleep is interrupted by this angel and he's given this command to stay with a woman that he thinks cheated on him. And in that, what does he do? What's Joseph do? He's faithful. He stayed. He did it. Look at everything I just told you. I didn't even tell you anything that would happen to Joseph after this, that he would be mocked, that he would be shamed, that he would be pretty much cast out of the community for marrying an adulterous woman. Or they believe it was his baby and he broke the covenant as well. But he stays. And in verse 22 it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. Now I want to ask you a question. What does it look like for you to, f- to be faithful and to stay? To be faithful and to stay in your community. To be faithful and to stay in a friendship that's really hard. To be faithful and stay in contact with that family member that continues to hurt you. Find help, find healing, find resources. But what does it look like for you to stay? For me, it looked like about a year and a half ago, I was in a transition season. I was engaged, not betrothed, engaged. My boss had just left here at the church. I pretty much was a free agent. They were deciding if they were going to sign me again or not. A new boss showed up. All of my friends graduated, got married, and left. And I'm talking like all of them. There was, there was not much more for me here. The boss who wanted to hire me, he left. The children's pastor who I knew kind of, he left. Everybody was gone. There were so many options for me to leave. They offered me a job here that's not full-time, that doesn't pay that crazy, (laughs) what would you do? Would you stay? Everything points at leaving. But I felt like God asked me to stay. And I wouldn't trade the last year and a half for anything. The ministry we've gotten to do, what God has done in Oasis and in youth that I get to work with, what God has done in the church here, what he's done outside the church, I don't want to miss that. I'm glad he asked me to stay. I'm glad I was faithful and bold enough to do so. Number two, Joseph has a second interaction with an angel. It's like the dude, his life is crazy. Like he's got one interaction. You'd be like, whoo, okay. I had that spiritual experience. At least it doesn't happen again. But again, like literally a chapter later, Joseph back in the dream, angel pops in, angel Ben. And it's Matthew 2, verse 13. It says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. More context, more pieces to plug into the story. Herod, terrible ruler, incredibly oppressive. Why he needs to flee here is because Herod is about to kill every young boy under the age of two in Bethlehem. He's trying to murder our Messiah. And God steps in and he says, go to Egypt. And we think that's a no-brainer. Why not? Why not just go to Egypt? Joseph, you know you'll be safe. You can take your fam with you. But he doesn't have anything there. 
his friends, his family, his relationships, his job, his home, everything he's ever known, his culture, his language is where he's currently at. And God is asking him to uproot his whole life and plant it in a new culture with a new language in a new place where he knows no one. And he's asking him to completely change it all. And Joseph steps in. And what does he do? He goes. He is faithful. And in verse 15, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said. So I'll ask you again. What does it mean for you to be faithful and go? What does it mean for you to be faithful and go? If you've been listening attentively, which I I hope you have, there's this reality that I just told you all to stay, and then I just told you all to go. And Brennan, those two don't quite click. I can't be here and be there. As much as I'd love a clone, it doesn't work like that yet. And why I need to tell you both is because in this room tonight, there's both. Some of you, God is asking to stay. In whatever situation, in whatever relationship, in whatever context, in whatever roommate, with whatever dorm room, God is maybe asking you to stay. For some of you, God is asking you to go, to leave everything, to leave all your comfortability, to go into that next thing. And there's lots of reasons to not do both. But if God is asking, will you be faithful and will you go? And what I want to talk about next is how Joseph goes. More specifically, who he brings with him. Because Joseph brings Jesus. And I don't want to stretch this too far, and I don't think I am. But as God calls you to go, and you respond faithfully, and you go, I ask you, will you bring Jesus? Will you bring Jesus to wherever God is calling you? To whatever community, to whatever place, to whatever job, to whatever friend group, to whatever relationship. Will you bring Jesus? Because... He's the hope. He's the peace. He's the love. He's the joy. Take him with you. Don't leave him behind. He's our Emmanuel. He's our God with us. And I have been at this job, like I said, a handful of years. And like I told in prayer, I said, it is the best and the worst thing that in about three years, pretty much none of you will sit in these seats. It's the craziest thing ever. If you stay long enough, you'll notice that every almost three to four years, we have a brand new congregation here at Oasis. It blows your mind. You'll sit here and you'll watch the seats change as the people come and go. You go to school or you go to jobs. And, and, and it's just the reality even of young adult life that careers are very flippant. It changes a lot. And as people go, I also have this incredible opportunity to watch them take Jesus. And more specifically in our leadership team, every year I see people take Jesus powerfully wherever they're going. I have seen leaders go to Sioux Falls and Omaha and Minneapolis and Rapid. I've seen multiple leaders go to Texas, leaders go to Florida, leaders go to the coasts. I have seen a leader go to Africa and now live in Zambia. I have seen a leader go to Germany and take his career there. And they all brought Jesus. So as God calls you, and as he asks you to go, will you go? Will you be faithful? Will you take Jesus? Third instance. Matthew 2, 19 through 23, Herod, that evil king, dies. And an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and he said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. 
Having been warmed in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled that they said through the prophet that he would be called a Nazarene. One more piece to plug into this story. Archelaus, this guy I just told you about, the son of Herod, he, he's terrible. <laughs> There's no really better way to put it. Herod was really, really bad. Archelaus is like way, way, way worse. And the reason is he, he inhabits all the terrible qualities of his father. He's, he's evil, he's conniving, he's, he's selfish, he's, he's prideful, but he's also insecure and he doesn't really take care of his kingdom well. But then the worst part is he, he lost all control that his father had. His father reigned with a tight grip. Him, not so much. It's pretty much just mayhem and chaos. And now God has called Joseph back into this community with his family and his little son and his wife to go back into the persecuted area, but with a worse ruler. And what what does Joseph do? He returns. He's faithful. And he goes, and verse 23 says, so was fulfilled what the prophets had said. Faithfulness brings fulfillment. But Joseph doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop listening. He actually never stopped listening. Because you see God do something. He calls him back to Israel, but then he shifts the plan. He changes it ever so slightly because now they end up in Nazareth, which is a whole nother message. But I want us to look at what Joseph does here. You know why he's able to recognize the shift, the move of the spirit, the change in his life, the change in God's plan? It's because he practiced it. Consistently over his life, you can see just in these two chapters that over and over and over again, he was faithful, he responded, and he did what God asked. So when God changes it a little bit, he's ready for that. He's in tune with the spirit. He's hearing God's voice. He's following his call. So I challenge you the same way. Don't wait until you have a major decision. How in your every single day-to-day life, as you wake up, as you eat your meals, as you go to class, as you work your job, how in your day-to-day life do you practice faithfulness so when God tweaks it, when God shifts it, when God calls, will you be able to respond in faithfulness? What does it mean for you to be faithful in return? This is my last kind of reflective question for you, but I need to ask it because what does it look like for you to be faithful in return? To go back. Back to communities, back to families, back to friends, back to workplaces, back to hometowns. And to not go back as who you were. Joseph, there's no way after three encounters with an angel and all that he's been through in multiple years, there's no way Joseph goes back the same person he was. So you don't go back the same person you are. Jesus, if he's changed you, go back as a changed person. Bring Jesus with you. Bring the gospel. Return and have courage and bravery to continue to live for Christ. I have seen countless of you, not leaders, not staff, you people, our congregants, the members of Oasis, the part of our family, go and return and take the gospel with you. Right now, I think there's people watching with family and friends where you're being faithful, you're taking the gospel with you, you've returned. Be changed there. But what happens if you aren't faithful? Reality, I, I, I'm not going to push too many theological bu- buttons, but I will say this. I believe you have some sort of choices in this life. That's where I stand. If you want to ask me more, sure, go ahead. You can find my email. But I believe you have some kind of freedom to make choices in this life. And I believe Joseph had the same. 
So what if Joseph wasn't faithful? What if he decides to leave Mary? She gets stoned. She dies. Jesus dies. What if he doesn't go to Egypt? Jesus is killed with the rest of the kids that are slaughtered in Bethlehem. What if he doesn't return to Israel? Jesus stays in Egypt and he's stuck there and he misses out on the purpose that God had for him in the promised land? What if he doesn't catch the shift? He steps back into the trap of an evil ruler? And I ask you, not in fear, but in faith. If you're not faithful, there's things that God has planned for your life, things that God has planned for other people's life through you that could be missed out on. So be faithful in each and every day and praise God because he's faithful. Last point. There is kind of a sad truth about Joseph's life. And I think one of the reasons he is such an underrated character of the Bible is Joseph probably never got to see the end result on earth. He never got to see what his faithfulness played out with in Jesus's life. It's believed by scholars and many people that Joseph probably passed away sometime in Jesus's young adult years, which I think speaks volumes to Jesus's empathy because he's lost a parent. But it also speaks volumes to Joseph's faithfulness because he didn't even get to see where it ends. He passed away. We don't know why. We don't know how. But he's no longer in the story and I can prove it to you in a handful of different ways. But really I'll just say anytime that Jesus' family shows up, anytime that a father in that culture would have been present or done a certain act, Joseph ain't there. So Joseph probably was completely absent from Jesus' life. He'd already transgressed and gone to heaven or transcended and gone to heaven. And now I look at you and I say, but what if you don't see the results of your faithfulness? What if you stay and it's hard and you feel like it was a mistake and you don't necessarily know why? What if you go and it's the same thing? It's hard and you don't know why you're there and you can't see God moving and you can't and it just feels tough and there's emotions and what if you return and it's the same scenario over and over again I could keep going but what if you never see the results of your faithfulness I just like I like to think about Joseph in heaven the earthly father of Jesus who comes and he sees his son sit on the throne of heaven you think Joseph is displeased and I think about us you may never know the ripple effect you have for the kingdom of God the person you impact, who impacts someone else, the person in your small group who you poured into, who you had coffee with, who you met with, the person you prayed for that they don't even know you're praying for them, you may never see the results of that faithfulness. But there will be a moment in heaven where you will sit and you will see the people that you have had an impact on. There are lives that you are changing right now through your faithfulness that you will see in heaven. Church, don't let that pass you up today. Be faithful because God is faithful. Be faithful and let God take care of the fulfillment. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you tonight for just your faithfulness. Through an entire year of craziness and hardship, you have continued to show up in our lives and in our ministry. You've continued to show up and move where we needed you. And God, if we're still waiting on your faithfulness, if we're still waiting on your move, I pray you'd do it soon. I pray you'd, you'd come into broken places and you'd bring healing and restoration. I pray tonight that people, 
May their faithful act may be just coming back to you once again or coming to you for the first time, but God, I just pray that you'd give them courage and boldness. I pray your spirit would be poured out on your people, on your church, so that we would be able to practice discernment and we would have clarity in where you're calling us, whether it's to stay or to go, to return, to tweak it, to shift it. Whatever it is, God, would you speak? And would we as your children be willing to listen? God, I thank you for each and every person in this room who sits on the screen and watches through this technology that we've been gifted. God, I thank you for their faithfulness to be here tonight. It doesn't go unnoticed. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.